tuition being paid, medical bills being paid, low-income housing being built. Health care is a holistic approach. Medical care is myopic and after the fact and not proactive, it's reactive. Welcome to the Vibe Living Podcast, a podcast that talks about topics for women over 40. You know, that time of your life that many call midlife. That time of life when you can really vibe, be vibrant, intuitive, beautiful, and emerge. Join me, Linus Woods Mullins, certified holistic living and wellness expert for women over 40, as I talk about a variety of topics that address the wellness of the mind, body, and spirit for women over 40. Remember, midlife doesn't mean no life. Midlife is an opportunity to increase your self-love, your self-care, and your self-worth. It's your time to be vibrant, intuitive, beautiful, and emerged. It's your time to vibe. So come on, let's vibe. Hello and welcome to the Vibe Living Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here with me today. You know, I know there's 50 million literally podcasts that are out there. So everyone who actually tunes in to listen, I truly appreciate you. We are in our fifth season of the Vibe Living Podcast. And as you know, I had another podcast for about 12 years called The Wellness Journey. And you can find The Wellness Journey on iTunes as well as on Anchor and several other of your favorite listening platforms. But today on Vibe Living, I'm going to digress a little bit from what we normally talk about. Now, as you know, I believe in all things wellness of the mind, body, and spirit. I don't think just about health, nutrition, fitness, and all that, although that's what I talk about a lot. I decided in 2023, I'm really going to focus on some other topics that feed into our wellness. Many times the reasons why we are feeling the way we're feeling is not necessarily because of things that we're putting in our bodies or lack of exercise or any of that. Sometimes it's what's going on around us environmentally. So today I decided to bring on someone, dear friend of mine, and truly a trailblazer when it comes to the whole issue of healthcare. Because let's face it, healthcare is a controversial topic, but it's something that we need to be talking about. It's something that needs to be on our agenda. Because if our healthcare continues to be as poor as it is right now in this country, then our future is not looking too bright. And given all the other things that are going on in our country right now, we could at least have our health. Everyone should have the right to be able to have the opportunity to be healthy and to receive excellent health care. When it comes to your overall life, the only thing you really have is your health. Things will come and go, but your health, you want to hold on to that because if you have that, then you can deal with all the other stuff. But if you begin to deteriorate, your health begins to deteriorate and you're not getting the right kind of health care, that can be a problem. So today we have a very special guest and that is Dr. William Bronston. Bronston was born and raised in Hollywood, attending UCLA then USC School of Medicine for Children, Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, as an intern. And finally, a residency at School of Psychiatry, specializing in child development and psychiatry. Expelled after two years for organizing a Kansas AFSCME mental hospital union and coordinating the first multiple hospital health worker seizure rather than striking to advance workers' rights and benefits. A decade followed in New York where he worked at the infamous Willowbrook State School for three years, 
helping to mobilize parents to file the federal class action suit for crimes against humanity against the governor and New York State for his administration of this American concentration camp for children and adults with disabilities. His new book, Public Hostage, Public Ransom, Ending Institutional America, tells the story of Willowbrook, its barbarity and its forced closure, calling for the universal single-payer health care system change and exposing the antisocial evil of all medical funding. Dr. Bronson returned to California in 1975, and he was appointed to become the medical director of two California state departments serving for the following 25 years. During this time, he produced 20 years of youth film festivals to advocate media career education in the Sacramento Capital Region and North American high school systems. His total current focus right now is to establish the comprehensive transformation of our corporate totalitarian medical wealth transfer system with the most imaginative and democratic population-based healthcare policy model as the centerpiece of the socialist rightful healthcare in our society. Dr. Bronson, thank you so much for being here today. It's been wonderful talking about your illustrious career and having the chance to talk with you about the things that I know are dear to your heart and should be a matter of concern for all of us, and that is our healthcare system. And before you get started, I just want to share a story with you. I have four daughters. One is expecting. She found out today, and she was very upset, that they ran some testing that she had not authorized. She thought it was going to be just the normal testing. They ran a drug test. And my daughter, full disclosure, she likes the herbal essence. But she has not done that since she found out she was pregnant. So it's been a good two months. My daughter and her husband went ballistic because, first of all, they did drug testing without permission. But she also feels that she was racially profiled because she was going to a medical center that is in the heart of an African-American neighborhood. Her doctor who she's had as a gynecologist since she was 16 years old, now works out of that medical center. And to me, that is a very good example of what's going on in our healthcare system right now. It's, it's full of stereotypical diagnosis and prognosis of preconceived judgments and misdiagnosis based upon people's socioeconomic background. So, Linus, first of all, I, I just want to tell you how honored I am and to be on your show and how proud I am of you. I want to correct a few things. First of all, we do not have a healthcare system. And to even talk about what we have now in terms of medical services as a healthcare system misrepresents and I think gives a pass to this barbarity that we're suffering now. We have a medical service system that's essentially based on the monetization of suffering and death. The whole system is geared towards the end of life where the most amount of money can be drawn from people. The missing services that are there, the missing areas that services are provided, the lack of an adequate service delivery workforce is absolutely outrageous. And so we have been working now for many, many decades to establish universal rightful healthcare where there would be no cost whatsoever at the point of service. People would have a card and they would essentially provide that card to any healthcare provider of their choice that they would go to in a universal healthcare system. And the vendor would then bill a trust fund, a single trust fund where all the money for medical services and healthcare would essentially be concentrated, a single payer system. So right now, 
the private sector, the banking system, Walmart, Amazon, major corporations are working overtime to seize control and ownership of all medical professional providers, vendors, and hospitals, pharmaceutical companies. And the amount of money that's being extracted from us and the suffering and uncertainty and universal fear and insecurity that every single body in our society must experience, not knowing for sure if something happens to them, whether they're going to be able to cope and be able to pay. When we have a medical bankruptcy as the single largest source of bankruptcy for individuals in America. So we must, we must mobilize everybody in our society in order to campaign to establish a unified public health dominated neighborhood assembly organized free service delivery system for which we have more than 200% of all the money that we need to deliver right now. Our system essentially is costing the public twice as much as any other system on earth and our medical stats maternal and infant mortality and morbidity. We're number 44 in the world. Japan is the leading country in the world in terms of best services and they smoke and they do all sorts of things, but because they have a community society, they have a, a true healthcare system. And there are other healthcare, healthcare systems in the world and, and probably the most brilliant, the most profound, the most inspiring system on earth is the country that the United States villainizes perpetually as a dictatorship, which it's not a dictatorship, and that's Cuba. So I've worked for the last two years with 40 of my peers from around the United States, top people in the country, past presidents of the American Public Health Association, my organization, the Physicians for a National Health Program, which has 30,000 physicians, and we worked to create the most imaginative, the most beautiful, the most caring, the most democratic service healthcare delivery system that we could imagine. And we must now somehow get that to the people to look at and to build some kind of a unified political force because we're going to have to have a proposition in order to drive that home at a state level and at the national level. The legislatures and the Congress will never provide us with something that fundamentally ends fear and the, the essential uh, disorganization of our society that keeps people so pliable and able to be moved around and intimidated you know, in their work. We, There's we, a couple of things that you've said that I want to make sure that our listeners understand. Yeah. First of all, you mentioned the universal healthcare systems. Yes. And I'm wondering, and they're probably wondering too, is there any country in, in the world that has a true universal healthcare system? You mentioned Cuba. Is, is that what they have? Is that the same model? Yes, they have a universal system. Every single buddy in Cuba has absolute comprehensive health coverage. The doctors in Cuba only have 800 families each. They live in the neighborhoods that they serve. They have office hours for the first half of the day. And the second half of the day, they walk door to door in their 800 family neighborhoods. They know every single individual. Every single individual knows them that's in their neighborhood. The people own the Cuban healthcare system. We in this country do not own our system. Our system is owned by the corporations, oh, yeah. the pharmaceutical companies, the big hospitals, 
the big Wall Street companies own outright our system. And we essentially are public hostages. Now, that's the other question. Of course, what you're saying sounds like fantastic, great, universal health care. We wouldn't have to pay for it. It would be equal. Or the socioeconomics of a person wouldn't matter. They would have a doctor who would get to know them and know their own personal idiosyncrasies, which is so important when it comes to diagnosis, prognosis, and all of that. But here's the thing. Society is entrenched in the current system. And it is funded, as you said, by corporations and by the government, and it's just all intertwined. How do you begin to undo that and change that, and in the same time, bring up another healthcare system that is in direct opposition to those individuals who will fight tooth and nail to keep it that way? Because they're so financially tied in so many ways to how the current system is. How do you begin to make that change? Well, I think, first of all, people have to come to grips with the nightmare that they and many of their families live with. They have to understand how uncertain and insecure their experiences in terms of getting medical care. We're not talking about health care now. The second thing is that we have to have an all-out campaign to educate the masses of people, the general public, about a model which I have built with my confreres on the web ourhealth.pub. And in that model, everything that I'm talking about is laid out. The whole issue of transforming the workforce, providing global budgeting for all public health, professional education, buying out all existing medical debt, negotiating and buying it out so people are not left with a huge debt when they're all finished. You know that in our world, there must be roughly about 40 million people, mostly women, that are forced to take care of some dependent member of their family without funding. That has to be ended. And those folks need to be funded at a proper rate. In addition to that, we need to look at the public health system, which is committed to prevention and all, take a stand in order to assert their leadership role in the delivery system here. There's a number of forces that can be mobilized to work together towards a unified campaign. We're going to need to vote on this. We're going to need to educate people. And we're going to be fought in the billions in terms of the opposition from the cartel systems, from big pharmaceutical companies, from the hospital system, from the insurance system, and from all the middlemen. That that brings up another question I had. We already know the conundrum of the current system and how it exists. Let's talk about the feeder systems, our educational system and the medical school systems and how that all works. They charge an exorbitant fee to go to medical school. When the doctors come out of that, let's say theoretically, they come out of that, they paid a lot of money and they're going into a more public single payer healthcare system that's similar to Cuba's. Will they still be able to make the same amount of money? If not, how do they pay back medical school longs, or do we change that part too in terms of medical schools? We change everything. We have to provide comprehensive tuition through global budgeting for every post-secondary educational institution in our society, the community colleges, the state universities, the four-year universities. We give them a global budget in order to provide the tuition for the training for every health professional, social work, psychology, dentistry, nursing, medicine, med tech, et cetera, et cetera. In exchange, anybody who gets a scholarship 
from the universal system has to give back a year of service for every year of tuition. And those people get assigned through a California Health Corps to urban and rural deserts where there are inadequate services. We have to spread the state, at least a California, if not the whole country, with adequate coverage for altogether comprehensive care, medical services, nursing, dental, uh, psychiatric, the whole nine yards has to be good. And the way we do that is by paying for students to go through school with no medical debt, no school debt when they're finished. And then they work, somebody is assigned to some rural area, some isolated area that they would never choose to go because there isn't enough money there, which we're going to fundamentally change that incentive. They'll begin to build relationships with the local people there if they're there for two or three or four years, which is the period of time that they were educated and got their scholarships. So we have to expand and change who's taking care of us. We need more people of color. We need more people that, that speak all the languages that are spoken here in California. We need people that understand the culture of various different groups, the Hamon community, the Vietnam community, the black community, the Hispanic community. And society is so essentially forced into these large empires like Mercy here and Dignity and Kaiser. The University of California is the people's hospital and they don't take Medicaid. I mean, it's just incredible. And Medicaid has plowed since its inception $6 trillion into creating the most artificial institutionalized society, nursing homes, supported living, hospice care, all being driven into the private sector. That's part of the reason why our health status are so in terrible, terrible shape. That's interesting because I worked for Kaiser and one of the reasons why I ended up leaving was that I could no longer sit in a meeting talking about butts and beds because we had to have that number. In other words, we had to have a certain number of sick people. I'm not going to even criticize and say that the majority of the doctors there didn't care about the welfare of their patients. Many I'm of them sure did. They did. I'm sure they're they did. locked into the system. We've got like 15, 20 minutes to review. And then based upon the protocol, you use that for your diagnosis, which has nothing to do necessarily with the individual sitting in front of you. And then from there becomes this long journey of being diagnosed and treated and also being given pharmaceuticals. And that's my next question. The pharmaceutical industry is very powerful and all entrenched in our system. How does that change when it comes to the kind of system you're talking about? If you have a single bank account, either in the state or in the nation, that has 100% of all the money to take care of the population, then that single trust fund can negotiate with any corporation in order to bring the price of medicines down. I'm sure that you know that the United States pays 100% dollars for any piece of medication that exists. The rest of the world pays less we pay a minimum of two to 10 times more for every single medication that we have in our pharmacopoeia. And the only way to deal with that is to have a unified public population ownership of the delivery system such that we can negotiate with these pharmaceutical companies who are going to scream bloody murder that we're cutting into their research money and whatever. But the bulk of all of their research and the bulk of all their patents came from public 
universities. Hard question that you're asking is how do we get your listeners? How do we get the general public to have a sense of confidence and ownership around this campaign? And how do they begin to establish the organizational unity around which to campaign for a proposition in California, a proposition in New York? Therein lies an interesting conundrum because right now the body politic is pretty much worn out with all of the shenanigans going on in both sides of the aisle. And we are actually at a state right now where Congress is, is not really even functioning. But the idea of people wanting to make that change, which involves some kind of sacrifice, that right there is something that's different. But maybe it's time has come because they can see that the current model is no longer working. If people really thought about healthcare, it would be the most profound unifying influence around which they would address issues of climate, issues of poverty, issues of racism, issues of mental anxiety and stress in our society and a transformation of our children in terms of their growth. We have to imagine not some kind of reform for something that's not going to deliver the transformation that we're looking for. You mentioned medical care, health care. Explain to me, what's the difference between health care and medical care? Let's start there. Health is longevity. Health is civic engagement. Health is creativity. Health is a sense of well-being and security in society. Medical care is getting rid of your fever, dealing with your cancer, dealing with your bronchitis. So in a healthy society, you have to make sure that people are well. What constitutes health and wellness is really the summation of the outcome of the United Nations Declaration on Human Rights. So one of the things that, that we have to be looking for is how to get people to think about transportation, food, work, education, housing, the homelessness community is wretched. It is intolerable. It is immoral in the extreme. It's violent. We're talking about three, four, five hundred thousand people in the state of California that are either on the street or spit away from being on the street. It's unacceptable. And we can fix that with a universal healthcare system that will change everything. It will empower poor people. It will change poverty. It will change racism, but we have to imagine how to deal with that. Right now, for example, the governor has a task force on reparations. I submitted a proposal to them with 15 points that if they understood establishing universal healthcare, single-payer healthcare in the state of California, that it would fundamentally transform society. Now, there are people that are looking at the solution from that reparations agenda in terms of dollars in their pocket. But if you provide full education for thousands and thousands of people, if you pay off their medical debt, if you make sure that nobody is homeless because of the coordination of the healthcare system around housing, if you look at the stress that would essentially be lifted from people's lives and would fundamentally be pushed back if we understood the need and organized around establishing a rightful healthcare system in the state and in the country. 
you know, that's very interesting because instead of actually cash reparations in our pocket, what about the idea of, as you said before, the tuition being paid, medical bills being paid, low-income housing being built? Health care is a holistic approach. Medical care is myopic and after the fact and not proactive, it's reactive. It doesn't do anything. It, all it does is treat the symptoms. It does not treat causation. When I went to medical school, there were 125 people in my class. There were four women, nobody of color in my class, nobody at University of Southern California. And my medical school essentially served the largest public hospital in the United States where everybody you know, spoke Spanish and, and we were dealing with the poorest people. But the medical school trained white boys. And yep. with that came authoritarianism, with that mm-hmm. came elitism, with mm-hmm. that came a sense of self-protection to not be exposed for what I didn't know. We were trained to be comfortable behind our white coats and in our unique and very difficult language that we learned in medical school. We have to fundamentally humanize, de-racialize the workforce. We need a workforce of people that love to care, that are committed to caring, humbled in service and identify with everybody. Our job is to comfort, is to care, help people be alive in society and not have money extracted and not be tyrannized, not be brutalized, not be marginalized in our society. We need a cultural revolution in our society. I was going to say we need a cultural enema. We have not just our physical illness, our mental health is in shambles. The last three years in particular, the trauma that we've all experienced as a result of the pandemic. That's why my business is up right now with women coming to me with anxiety and stress. Their menopausal symptoms have been exacerbated as a result of how they're feeling emotionally. When they're going to the doctors about this, the first thing they do is take out their prescription pad. So now you have a bunch of folks walking around who are medicated, which are also causing other issues over time. It just numbs you out, but you still have the stress. And it's just amazing to me how they're willing to give a pill rather than to peel back the layers and deal with the causation. It's not like they don't know how to do it. It's just that they are adhering to this protocol, which is designed to keep people sick. What would be wonderful is if we could figure out a way to do a Zoom call where we could have two or three or 400 people on the call and have people have a look at ourhealth.pub and use the Zoom call as a way of answering questions. Sometimes it starts with one conversation, one voice, two voices. One person tells another person, tells another person, because online, as they say, go viral. Those kinds of things can happen. But it really does start, let's say, uh, all of the Vibe listeners, where the blog is, where you can find out about the show, are the links to Dr. Bronson's websites and also to his book. And hopefully, by the time this airs, maybe the link to a Zoom call that he'll be having to answer your questions and to find out more about what you can do as individuals to make this kind of a universal healthcare system achievable. Because it's going to take more than just our leaders doing it, that to make these fundamental changes are really over. And I'm not even going to fault the leaders for that because they're just a part of the system. Some of them are doing the best they can with what they have to work with in a system that is rigged. What kind of advice can you give our listeners to give them hope that there's a possibility that things can change? I believe that the youth in this country are absolutely ready to take to the streets at a certain point become so outraged and so convinced 
of the virtue and the morality of their worldview that they're willing to risk getting shot down in the street. But those mobilizations and that courage is what's going to change our society. And it's happening. The reason why you have such an extreme right wing that's evolving is because the progressive forces in our society, very invisible because the corporate media doesn't want to cover us, doesn't want to cover that part of the world, are really rising in, in the most inspiring way. And I was watching the television when they had reinstated the gentleman. You know, they had not yet reinstated the other one, but I already knew that that was going to happen. And see, this to me is not only giving me hope, but it's energizing to see that people can make a difference. Absolutely. We can make a difference in Absolutely. numbers and it doesn't have to be violent. It doesn't have to be traumatic, but it does have to happen. We have to get involved. And I think for too many years, we have been kind of complacent. You know, sometimes we vote, sometimes we don't, you know, that's changing. I mean, people are coming out of passivity and they're deciding that they have a stake and that they, that stake is deadly serious. I was just listening to an interview with our governor on MSNBC, and I know he has his agenda, but the things he was talking about in terms of each of us having an individual responsibility of getting involved, I certainly absolutely do agree. And I think that not only is it important for us to get involved, but let's go from a mental health perspective. Many times when you're dealing with anxiety and depression, stress, you're all in your head and things get to be overwhelming. But I always tell my clients all the time, one way to get out of your head is to get it down on paper, write it out. Another way to get out of your head is start moving. Just get out there and start moving. You know, go for a walk, go to an exercise class, dance in your house like no one's watching, change, you know, the cortisol levels, lower those and, and bring up the happy hormones to help you feel better so you can think more clearly. If you take that approach and, and add to it, get involved, you know, volunteer for community organizations that are doing things in your community that you believe in. Instead of reading about it or even giving donations, donate your time. And for the people who are listening to this broadcast, because many of them are over 40, some of you are retired or approaching retirement, make volunteerism part of your plan of what you're going to do when you retire. You know, I hear people say, well, I'm going to travel. I'm gonna, I, and I get that. But let's face it. You can't travel all the time. It's too darn expensive. What else are you going to do? You're healthy. You have a wealth of experience and wisdom. So why not volunteer for those causes that you believe in? Become a part of the solution. We must end institutional terminus in our lives. And we're all headed that way as we get older. We have to have individualized lifetime care rather than long-term care planning that deflects us and keeps us in multi-generational communities. People need to go to their faith organizations, to their bridge clubs, and ask the question, how can I get this message to someplace else without being fearful that I'm going to be you know, made to look stupid or somehow ridiculed or not be able to make that happen? It's our own intimidation of not feeling comfortable talking with our neighbors and our friends about the most important thing in our lives that keeps us tyrannized by the corporate community that's paid to make sure that we don't have a voice. 
Well, the reality is, and there's always interesting, they say there's strength in numbers. There truly are more of us than there That's are right. of them. That's Bottom right. line, and Dr. Bronson, it's people like you, which are too far and few, making a difference. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity and the honor to be able to talk with you about a topic that is so important. I know my dad is smiling in heaven right now <laughs> that we're having this discussion. And for those of you who are interested in getting more involved in the movement that Dr. Bronson is talking about, please take a look at the links on the show page there that are that will lead to his book, lead to his organization he was talking about. And I'm also going to include a link to the Inequality Kills Us All, because I think one of the things that is really important is that we get the knowledge. But knowledge is not impactful if you don't actually use that knowledge to do something. Knowledge is power, but acting on that knowledge is powerful. Dr. Bronson, thank you so much for being on the Vibe Living Podcast. It's been wonderful having you here today. I'm so grateful, my dearest. I thank you so much for giving us time. Thank you. And thank you to all of you who've been listening. I know this is different than what you're used to, but it's so important. I really am aware that you could be listening to so many different podcasts, but I'm going to ask you to subscribe to this podcast, share this particular episode with others who you think would really be interested in getting involved in this movement. And let's keep the conversation going. Thanks so much, Dr. Boston. And thanks to all of you. Have a fantastic and vibe day. Tell you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Vibe Living Podcast. Please feel free to download, rate, share, and like the show. To find out more about living a vibe life, go to my website at wellnesswoman40.com or email me at vibelivingpodcast at gmail.com. Have a fantastic day and don't forget to vibe.